weeks. You know, I think people have perhaps too much focus on the end goal and mm. completely uh, lose sight of the process. All right, they're just so focused on the end game. And technically speaking, there isn't really an end game. Martin Ebner is an ACE and Inadi certified personal trainer and sports nutrition specialist from Edinburgh. Martin is the founder of Ebby Life, a Barcelona-based wellness company offering personal training and nutrition services face-to-face in Barcelona and online. With more than 10 years professional and 20 plus years personal experience within the health and fitness industry, Martin focuses on fully tailored services to clients of all fitness levels and abilities. His personable demeanour and impeccable attention to detail make him that rare combination of fun and highly effective in his pursuit to help others effectively achieve their health and fitness goals. When Martin isn't training clients, you can find him practising what he preaches at the gym, hiking in the mountains, relaxing at the beach or experimenting with new ingredients and recipes in the kitchen. Hello and welcome to the Refreshing Change podcast. My name is Nicola Scott and I will be your host. Welcome Martin to the Refreshing Change podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for the listeners to hear from you. So before we before we dive in, could you, for the benefit of the listeners, give us a bit of a background about yourself, who you are, what you're all about, what you do? Sure. So I am a Scottish-born personal trainer and sports nutrition specialist. Uh, I live in Barcelona. Um, and if you hear the parrot... Um, my apologies. I live next to a tree full of parrots. Uh, <laughs> um, I first got into personal training uh, when I lived in Argentina uh, about 10 years ago. And it was because a few of my friends asked me if I could help them get physically fit. Um, I was quite fit at the time. And um, so I sort of jumped on that opportunity. And uh, so I started training a few friends. I absolutely loved it. Um, I then started a group fitness class called Ab Fab. And uh, I absolutely loved that as well. That was fantastic. And it grew quite quickly. Um, And then I got a personal training certification I did for a year in Buenos Aires in Spanish and uh, and then it really just grew quite organically from there Um, over the years certainly my approach and my clientele has changed Mm -hmm. initially it was just very much aesthetics based training So people might want a better bum or, you know, to be very shredded, you know, things like that. Um, And I was, you know, it was the sort of training that I did at the time as well. So I knew it very well. But then obviously, as I've aged, aesthetics aren't really my focus anymore. I mean, I love, obviously, that's one of the the best benefits of of working out. But... um, I'm sort of much more focused on sort of being able to incorporate um, fitness and nutrition into into sort of 
it's more sort of lifestyle now. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to me with a very aesthetic goal, there needs to be sort of more reasoning behind why they want to achieve that. Um, so yeah, now what I offer is just more, it's, it's a more sort of sustainable approach to the health and fitness. Mm-hmm. I love that. We'll probably dive into some of that because actually um, this came up on another podcast actually as well, but it's almost the journey we've been on ourselves helps us then serve or, or support clients. So as we go on our, you know, our change of perception or our change of training style or whatever that might be, that I presume will show up in the business, which is what you've, you've kind of just alluded to. Um, you mentioned a few aspects of change in there, Martin, and also the podcast is all about change. So I ask all my guests, um, I suppose, how, how significant a role has change played in your journey? And also, I suppose, how have you approached change? Um, so I've had a few significant changes in my life. Um, one of those changes when I was when I decided to leave Edinburgh and go traveling Mm -hmm. and what was originally planned just to be one year turned into sort of living abroad indefinitely Mm -hmm. so after I'd sort of backpacked backpacked sorry for uh for a year I went on to do three winter seasons in the United States uh, I met a girl there from Argentina, and then that next change was moving to Argentina. Um, so I lived there for for seven years, and sort of experienced a lot of change there as well. Um, I sort of dove into sort of mental health a little bit more. So that was a change that that I made there in Argentina. They're very, very open-minded about sort of mental health and and how important it is. So having arrived there, very close-minded about sort of the importance of mental health after maybe four or five years of living there, I sort of started to to work on my mental health. Um, I also gave up drinking alcohol which was a very significant change although I think I didn't give it nearly as much thought or or attention as perhaps I should have Um, and then I got married and moved to Barcelona and then my most recent change would be that I've gotten divorced this year so, um, so yeah, I would say that those have been some of the, the most significant changes in my life. I am not sure that I handle change particularly well. So I can certainly appreciate now that change is very often opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the changes of I, I have experienced have been sort of very challenging and I think certainly in my case when things are very challenging that is opportunity for growth so I'm quite optimistic that even though I go through very difficult times I tend to be able to to appreciate that that these things that are happening for a reason will have a positive result despite how difficult they feel in the moment mm. yeah and- 
like you say it's in the moment isn't it sometimes we can't when you're when we're in the darkness of it all sometimes it's hard to see or imagine that there's light at the end of the tunnel um but yeah we do we grow from all our experiences whether they're I suppose positive or negative or good or bad or happy or sad there's always a, an opportunity for growth and and lessons learned I suppose to then then propel us forward so thank you for sharing all that I know some of things you've mentioned we're going to pick up throughout the podcast we'll definitely come back to the not drinking because I know that that's same um, a common passion or something that that rings true in my life as well but um thank you for sharing that so openly the first the first place I want to take the podcast really is about um I suppose the importance of wellness I um I believe or I'm really passionate about the people's attention on optimizing their wellness to be able to make the change that they want in their life so it's things like you know optimizing your energy being in a good headspace you know your body functioning optimally as it should um what would you say are the foundations of of good wellness um i think you know i'll speak personally um Obviously, exercise and nutrition are, are very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I quite often think of food as fuel. Um, so I eat in a way that allows me to feel good, sort of not only during my meals, but afterwards as well. Um, you know, a lot of people obviously come to me and they're like, oh, I had to go for a nap after I had lunch. And I'm like, well, that technically shouldn't really happen mm-hmm. eating the right sort of food so yeah, certainly exercise and nutrition I think balance in life is very important so I like to sort of complement business with pleasure um, you know we were speaking a little bit before before we started recording about purpose and I think um purpose is is very important for me it's something that I've really just learned in the last year that having purpose um, sort of makes me feel much better about life so having something to wake up and focus on in the morning (laughs) is is very positive for me Mm -hmm. Um, I also spend a lot of time with positive people so I'm I think very blunt when it comes to spending time with people that I don't feel good around. So, you know, I think I'm a people pleaser in certain areas, but when it comes to, I don't know, the people I choose to spend time with, for me, that's really, really important. Um, You know, I think I'm also an empath. So if I spend time with negative people, it sort of drains my energy. Again, we spoke a little bit about sort of mental health in the intro. I think that um, addressing issues when they arise, trying to sort of have a proactive approach to sort of mental health issues. So, for example, when my relationship was starting to turn bad, I sort of proactively started speaking with a therapist and that helped me feel uh, much, much better about the the situation and I was sort of better prepared when it eventually ended um 
God, I could say lots and lots of different things, you know, getting to know yourself, I think is very important as well. That's something that I've, I've spent a lot of time doing over the last few years. Um, you know, because if you have a better understanding of what you want and what you need, then you're able to, to give yourself those things. And, and that's, uh, that's obviously going to make you feel better if you're doing things that you need and want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could go on and on. There's, like you say, there's so much, isn't there, to cover that wellness is such a massive um, umbrella of everything. But I love that you described a, re- a real range of things. And again, it's, it's about looking at wellness and I suppose your lifestyle really holistically. Because like you say, if, you know, if people are just focusing on, and we'll, we'll touch on nutrition and exercise in a second, I'll come back to that. Um, but it's about how your mind's functioning. It's about how energised you feel about who you're hanging out with, about your, how you you know how you perceive the world um so I love all that having a purpose balance in life that I love what you said about the spending time with positive people and being quite blunt about maybe not spending time with more negative people but again that's just a good demonstration of having boundaries of knowing what and how you're going to optimize your wellness and your life and your joy and happiness ultimately at the end of the day um so yeah amazing the, the I, also, I just wanted to touch on this is was not planned at all, but I had a session with a client just the other day and we were talking about addressing issues as and when they come up. And the analogy that I came up with when I was chatting to the client, and I'll share it on here for the benefit of the listeners, was imagining you're on a train and between stations, something comes up, an issue comes up, but you've only got a chance to between now and the arriving at the next station to raise it. After you've been at the next station, you can't bring it up you know you'll lose the power of 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 verbalizing it or offloading it or getting it off your chest because I, I do think there's a real lack of urgency people have about holding on to stuff and storing things up and then you know well, I think we're talking about kind of like conflict and then being able to verbalize what and what you need and how you need it um that conflict conversation and dialogue becomes far more heated and emotional than it probably needs to because we've stored things up to offload and until we offload it we're carrying the weight of it around so I don't know why but when I was having this session with the client this train analogy came to mind and he was like oh that you know I suppose for visual people out there but thinking about if something comes up right you know I've got to raise it I've got to flag it and that might be in a relationship it might be with a co-worker it might be with your children it might you know it could be with friends whoever but being able to verbalise, I think a lot of people are afraid, afraid to, I don't know, almost like offend people. But if we're, if we're speaking our authentic self and we're coming from a place of kindness and compassion and intention is just to, I suppose, to diffuse a situation or to deal with something or address it, then we've got no control over how other people respond or feel about something but yeah it was just when you're saying about addressing issues because I do think the weight of holding on to things can be really toxic for people and, and eat away eat away at them so if you're sitting listening with issues make sure you get them flagged and raised before you get to the next train stop um I think that that that's very interesting I just want to say one thing as well that I think it's great to be honest with people as well so I think we're we have the tendency to lie to make things sound better you know, if somebody invites me to do something, um, I, I feel that I'm quite direct. I'm just like, yeah, I, no, <laughs> I don't want to. I would rather do this instead. And if that person is a true friend, 
um, they would understand. I mean, if I asked a friend to do something and they said no, and I said why, and they said they told the truth, I'd be like, oh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I would just accept their reasoning behind it and, and sort of try to understand that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't know what you take on this as Martin, but I don't think that necessarily is driven from a place of lying to others. It's lying to ourselves first because we don't actually know maybe all the time what we do and don't want to do. And it comes back to, like you said, about knowing yourself. So if you know what's going to light you up or, or, or tear you down or de-energize you or whatever phrase you want to throw in, it's knowing yourself well enough to say, like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation or that environment and I'm going to say no to something. I don't necessarily think um, it de- it's definitely an inner people pleaser, isn't it? Once say yes to everyone and and that FOMO of missing out, but actually, how much joy is that thing going to bring you in the first place if you say yes? So, yeah, it, it's a big it's a biggie, isn't it? Um, just to circle back to the because people when you see PT or or um, sports nutrition coach you know people think we're going to chat loads about exercise and nutrition so we, we better touch on that although I love that we've, we've covered all the holistic stuff um and you obviously said you used the, the phrase using food as fuel which I think is a whole topic in and of itself and we can kind of dive into that um but I often find you know implementing healthy habits you know, whether that's movement or exercise, people quite often can take quite a radical approach, you know, from starting from zero, try and beast their bodies, restrict food intake, whatever that might look like, um, possibly without the right foundation and knowledge and education and understanding of why and what they should be doing. Is that something you see quite often in the industry? And I suppose, what's your spin on all of that? Um. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I'd say it's 90% that. Yeah. Um, I think that we're quite impatient and we sort of want it all and we want it now. Um, and I think sort of marketing companies, they sort of prey on our laziness in society. Mm-hmm. To sort of push that. So everything you see is get this in this amount of time. You know, so if I get somebody inquiring about about sessions, I always try to sort of um, sort of what am I trying to say? Sort of like set very realistic expectations, okay? And if they say I want to weigh this. You know, I would say, well, why is it that you want to weigh that? What's going to change once you weigh that? Um, and I mean, I'm very lucky because I'm in a position where I can, if I get a, maybe a, a bad vibe from somebody, or I think they're doing it for the wrong reasons or they're not really willing to make the change that's necessary, then I tend not to take them on as a client. The people that, I mean, I, you know, the people that do the best are the ones that have realistic expectations from the very beginning. So they're not extreme in nature. If somebody comes to me and they say, I want to train five times a week, you know, for two weeks while I'm in Barcelona, I would say, well, why are you, do you train at the moment? No. So why do you want to train every day for two weeks while you're in in Barcelona? I want to achieve this. Okay, so what are you going to do once you're done with the two weeks? You know, I think people have perhaps too much focus on the end goal 
and mm. completely uh, lose sight of the process. All right, they're just so focused on the end game. And technically speaking, there isn't really an end game. You know, if you, I don't know, train to hit a certain weight, you know, what happens after that? I mean, if you just reverse to, to doing nothing again, you know, your results will be reversed very, very quickly. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think it, it's very, very important to just, to be honest with yourself. It's cliche, but it, it is a journey. Um, it's taken me a long time to understand that as well. Certainly talking in terms of nutrition, I only feel in the last couple of years that I have nailed my nutrition, you know, and when I was back in Scotland, I, I sort of I've realized this, that I eat a certain way and I love eating the way I eat. Um, I haven't off sort of flip, not flip flopped back and forth, but sort of tended in the past to do a lot of bulking and then cutting, bulking, cutting, whereas now I'm just more consistent, you know, and I'm always very close to exactly where I want to be. And I think, you know, an indicator of sort of nailing nutrition is that when you maybe go away on holiday, you don't have the temptation to just go absolutely mental. Mm. Or maybe you do go away and go a bit mental, but you're very keen to return to the diet you had beforehand before leaving for your holidays. So, you know, these are quite good indicators. I'm not sure if that answers your question or whether that was... Yeah. No, it does, it does, it does. Um, I suppose it's that moving away from the radical approach to something that is sustainable and that is, you know, it, it's rooted in a bit of um, education and knowledge and also what's right for you. I'm a, And again, this is something on my journey that I've probably made a shift from, whereas... Uh, you know I used to buy into some of the generic stuff around you know removing certain food groups from your diet or you know specific workout regimes or whatever but actually it we're all different uh, like our anatomy is different our biology is different but also our our environment you know how stressed we are how much time we have what our days look like what in, what's what we enjoy you know it's it, everything's really um yeah yeah individualized and unique and and you're right about that no end goal because actually even when you know if if it's a classic um weight goal for example a lot of people in fitness would you know have a target weight but we're human you know once we reach a goal you know you might you might maintain that weight. you might still you know find the workout that you enjoy started eating in the right way but you'll you'll have you'll have another goal you want to lift heavier weights you'll want to run faster or run further or you know we're 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 that way inclined as humans, I think. So it, it is about, you know, there's no, rather than fixing on the end goal about enjoying the journey. Absolutely. I think it's important to have goals 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that can be a great reason to start. I want to achieve this goal. But if it's like a, a very specific goal to hit a certain weight, for example, that might be enough to get you started. But then mm-hmm. once you get to that weight, how do you continue to do it? So mm-hmm. it's personally, for example, I've got little goals, you know, but I'm just in a sort of constant state of maintenance now. I couldn't live without exercise. Mm-hmm. That probably wasn't always my goal. I probably wanted to get ripped or build muscle, but um 
you get to a point where you start to really appreciate the intrinsic value of exercise. So these are things like, I don't know, just feeling great. So more energy, sleeping better. Um, and those can be the sort of results that encourage you to, to do it forever. Mm, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite convinced. And I see this to people all the time that, um, and, and I, I fluctuate into different categories I think with this a little bit but I think there's a real lack of people fully understanding and experiencing how healthy feels because we've almost knocked our bodies so far out of um out of sync that you know a lot of people don't know what a good night's sleep feels like a lot of people don't it's like you're saying about you know having lunch and feeling like you need to have a nap afterwards we've, we're, we're so uh, so far removed from health being the normal thing you know so that and I and I've definitely I definitely have this with my energy levels like uh, you know I feel tired quite a lot of the time and it's an area that I'm working on um but it's knowing and that this is why it has to be holistic because there's so many I suppose indicators but also solutions to that problem and often sometimes the solutions that we think like having a nap that and sometimes that is the right call sometimes I do have an afternoon nap I'm not going to lie but often going to the gym does energize us or going out for a walk or moving our body or shifting our our energy but sometimes it feels counterproductive when we already feel tired so it, it it's that whole yeah I suppose holistic but in bringing about change so that it's sustainable it becomes a lifestyle and um, and we do less of this fluctuating, and we don't lose sight of what healthy is. Sure, I think that you know, just one point on the energy. You know, I think that it's very important to listen to your body and adapt. Um, certainly, your your exercise routine based on how you're feeling at any given moment, mm. right? And that comes with practice, right? So. I mean, tiredness is fine. It's okay to feel tired. You know, I think people are tired a lot. I think people fear tiredness. I'm, you know, I'm terrified of being tired. So if I get very tired, I will always be like, oh my God, why am I so tired? Was it this? When am I going to feel less? You know, like I overanalyze tiredness and that is tiring. Mm -hmm. um, and, and certainly in terms of exercise, somebody might have not exercised at all and then all of a sudden they're exercising five times a week and they burn out okay because they're not listening to their body at all so that's another reason why it's important to start off more slowly mm. otherwise if you go from zero to a hundred you're more likely to burn out mm. yeah burnouts are words that gets thrown around quite a lot nowadays but there's a lot of it going about whether it's people over exercising or whether it's trying to juggle work life family you know life is is although I hate the word life is quite busy isn't it but it's about how do we manage and again you know the last couple of years have shown that life can slow down so you know it's about how do we choose where do we choose to say yes to things and where do we choose to say no to things and how do we structure our day and our week and our life so that we live in that kind of state of um constant maintenance with our kind of overall overall wellness you also mentioned about asking clients why which I think is a, such a powerful question to a lot of things um 
but often it can track back. You know, the reason we want something often isn't actually the real reason, it's far more deep rooted. Um, and I can imagine as a, as a PT, you get all sorts of, of people coming with loads of, not, I was gonna say baggage, but that's not the right word, but with stuff that experiences that have happened to them before that are put them on this path to hit a target weight or hit a dress size or have a, you know, get a six pack or whatever. Um, what and obviously to keep it confidential with clients but what kind of stuff comes up when you ask them why you know what's their people's responses tend to be they tend not to be able to answer okay you know uh, you know because i'll feel good well, mm. well you, you know will you feel good when you hit a certain weight um and like i said I, I don't tend to work with too many clients that have very aesthetic goals anymore like i'm sort of more drawn towards people that are more realistic from the get-go. Or every now and again, I'll take on a client that has very aesthetic goals, and then I try to really dig into sort of the, the psychology behind why they want to get there and then help them change that. Mm -hmm. So I have had a client now for about a year and a half, and when he first came to me, he was very negative when it came to speaking about just other people's bodies and uh you know it's just something that I've worked with him on you know I'd always challenge him and you know now he's got a much healthier approach to his own body much more acceptance he's he's loving training he's been able to implement it sustainably now for 18 months um so so yes it is it is very difficult you know if somebody just wants like a bigger bum for example that's one example that's quite common uh with women you know and for men it's a bigger chest and bigger arms and again it might be a good reason to start exercising but it's not something that's going to keep you training forever mm. Yeah, I suppose it's that like moving from being inactive to active can be, you know, it's a hard shift to, like you say, you've been at it for years and it's just part of your lifestyle. You don't think about going to exercise. It just happens as part of your your average day. But for a lot of people, it's, it's such a big jump. And whether that's, um, you know, there's lots of barriers, I suppose, to overcome to make that happen. Sure. Um but I often see people, and I don't know whether this is your experience as well, but people, I suppose, getting active, but maybe not in a way that fills them with joy or that they have actual fun with. I think people think that they maybe need to go to the gym or to work out or, um, you know, unless someone springs to mind that I saw this on their Instagram, you know, it took them years of uh, a love-hate relationship with exercise and then they got a Peloton bike and that was just podcast is not sponsored by peloton um but that that was their thing they loved it and they were on every day and they'd found their groove with you know with that form of exercise for them it fitted their lifestyle they enjoyed it um it was motivating enough to get them back on the next day so i don't know i i just i've got a real sense of people maybe not giving it enough time to actually go and find the thing that they really enjoy because there's a bit of trial and error with with exercise is that do you agree yes um interesting that you say about the peloton because my yeah. sister and brother-in-law got a peloton bike uh, i'm not sponsored by them either mm -hmm. and they 
absolutely love it. They use it every day. Um, You know, I say this all the time. Exercise should be a collection of very positive experiences, not negative ones. So I might get a client that will come to me and I hate exercise. Mm -hmm. You hate, I hate this exercise and I hate this form of exercise and I hate this. And I'll, you know, there's a reason that they hate it. They've obviously had a very negative experience at some point in their life. Um, So for me, it's about trying when I get a new client, maybe somebody hates exercise or they've struggled in the past to, to sort of stick to a workout routine. For me, it's about creating as many uplifting, positive experiences around exercise as possible. Mm-hmm. I think we've spoken about it before. When you're at school, you're forced to exercise, right? You don't really have a choice. It's this sport or this sport. So for a lot of people, exercise is automatically an obligation. It's something they have to do instead of something they want to do. So I think it's important that you try to find things that that bring you joy. You know, if you know you hate something, if you hate the gym, and you go in with that attitude and that mindset, you're going to continue to hate the gym. I mean, mm. you're never going to be able to stick to something that you hate doing. And this is some of the, you know, I see this a lot in, in traditional gyms that the personal trainers, they tend to be very poor at being able to um, create positive experiences for their clients. I mean, I've seen a lot of clients throwing up at the gym or getting faint and having to sit down. And these experiences are very negative. They can be traumatic for people. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point when you're exercising that you have to vomit, but it's horrible. No, not not for me. Right, absolutely (laughs) terribly. So imagine you go to a gym and you're like, I'm going to sign up with a personal trainer. And that personal trainer pushes you to the point that you feel very sick that is a terrible experience and you're never going to want to do it again. Mm. So always when I get a new client, I take things very, very slowly. I think one of the keys to being a good personal trainer is being a professional body language reader. Mm. You know, I uh, take quite a lot of pride in, in being able to read people's bodies. You can tell so much by, by their faces, by the way they're moving and also just by talking to them. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. No, it's good. It's good. You mentioned um, about the like the peloton. Keep mentioning peloton. Maybe I should write something and get a wee cheeky ad thrown in. Um, but for many people, it's the fact that it's in their house. So I think this is the thing with exercise. It's finding the right environment for you to thrive and succeed. And I love what you said about that collection of positive experiences. That's so powerful. And that's what we should be doing throughout life, not just with exercise, but we should be collecting positive experiences in everything we do. Um, but it, it's knowing, it comes back to knowing yourself and what motivates or what drives or what gives you joy. Um, I just recently joined the gym, as some of my followers may know, because I've gone on about it all the time. Um, but for me, I would I'd describe myself as quite an active person. I know a lot about the industry. I've worked in sport for 10 years. I've always been quite fit, 
but I still found it daunting going back into a budget gym that I'd never been in before. It's a daunting experience. And I probably am someone that is quite confident and experienced in that industry. So I suppose the way I set myself up for success was like, I kind of signed up to a couple of classes initially just to get myself back in, meet a few people, get familiar with the venue, you know, even simple things like knowing what you need to wear or how long the class is going to run or um, knowing, I suppose, what weights to lift or where everything stays. You know, like it's a daunting experience. So it's about setting yourself up for success, whether that's like, you know, finding a buddy to go with or doing it in your own home if that's what feels right for you or fits in with your your lifestyle but yeah I think a lot of people think exercise happens in a gym it's hard graft it's in lycra and it's not a nice experience and that I suppose you and I are probably just passionate about trying to debunk that myth of or that perception of exercise and say that is not what it needs to be um and finding finding what works for you what people enjoy absolutely um and I think gyms are scary places um I think that education is very important, as is planning, programming. I mean, if you arrive at a gym and you've never been in one before, it, it's very, I mean, you, you tend not, a lot of the times the staff aren't necessarily approachable either, or you might get an intro session and they very quickly show you some exercises to do. It, it tends to be very generalized. So you turn up at a gym, everybody looks like they know what they're doing. That's intimidating. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're there to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is all very daunting. So again, that can be a very, very negative experience. So I think education is very, very important when it comes to starting a new exercise routine, because if you can get rid of the doubt or some of it, you're much more likely to succeed uh, Mm. when it comes to reaching your goals and implementing sort of fitness and, you know, into your, your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose you we mentioned the journey earlier and um, as kind of cliched an analogy as that is, but it's about wherever you are, whatever point you're on in your journey, it's just taking the first step, isn't it? If, If people are inactive at the moment, if you just go out for a daily walk, you know, every day for the next seven days or, or, you know, go for a run or go for a swim. It's just, it's a bit of trial and error, but it's just taking the first step, isn't it? To actually start that, that collection of positive experiences. Um, but a gym doesn't need to be the answer for everyone. No. And it's interesting what you say about Peloton as well, because, you know, I don't know if you know, but I've you know tried to develop a piece of fitness equipment um, for a couple of years with, with, um, with a business partner and we we studied peloton and you know all of these different brands and, and peloton is so successful because it creates community mm. right and uh they've also done exceptionally well at recruiting so you know my sister's got the the spin instructor that she loves and uh my brother-in-law he's got his and she's quite sexy and you know and they love it and you're right and also being able to do it at home is quite motivational but you're also not doing it alone you've got mm. the accountability of a class and maybe a time and an instructor that you like so i think these these american companies 
I won't go too much into it, but American companies compared to European sort of European fitness companies tend to be all about design and it looks nice, you know, water roar, for example, they're beautiful, but I would be terrified to someone and use one in case it broke. Whereas I think um, American fitness brands, certainly their equipment tends to, it looks like it needs to be used mm. and it's durable. This is, you know, I'm going off on one. It's not important. Um, I love that what you said about community because actually that's so true so it's thinking about what motivates you and you said about accountability as well I'm a big believer I'm starting to fall out of love with habits and more in love with accountability because I, I do think accountability trumps habits and again it, it comes back to the type of person you are you, you and I may be quite different in, the, in this respect Martin but you're motivated enough to get yourself to the gym and you've built that habit into your lifestyle, you know, so much so that it's almost just autopilot now. Whereas I would need accountability and that's hence why I book classes because I have to turn up. I've said to someone I'm going to be there and I've booked my slot. So the habit with exercise, yes, will come in time, but I do think accountability is such a vital component, particularly for people that need that external accountability. If you're not... Um, a self-starter like many of us are and I fall into that camp we need that sense of external accountability and that community is a great way to 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 incorporate that um, so can I ask what is your accountability now so who is offering you or where is your where is the accountability factor in you sticking to your training your workout routine now yeah it's a good question so I'm, I'm an apple watch user another product name drop um but that and I've had that for the best part of three years that for me is a, one of my forms of accountability to move my body so it might be you know on a day where I'm not necessarily at the gym or at a class like I'll still move my body enough to to close all my circles and I know a lot of personal trainers that I'm friends with don't love a tracker watch <laughs> for um for various reasons but and this is again I know it works for me it, it doesn't I don't place loads of value on the numbers or the calories or any of that, but it, it's enough to motivate me to go out a walk if, my, if I've not moved enough or, or that kind of thing. But the, the accountability I need is just booking onto a class or saying to my friend, I'm going to go to the gym. So I know that she'll check in on me later and be like, how was your gym session? So it's not that I'm necessarily going with other people, although I did put a shout out on Instagram to see if anyone went to the same gym as me to see if I could find a wee buddy. Um, but it's just knowing, uh, I suppose, yeah, the class thing's a big thing for me until I get back into a bit more of a habit is that it was the same. I, I worked as a PT for about a year, a good few years ago, um, which is amazing because I learned loads, but also it was the accountability to, to show up and, and work out. So again, it comes back to knowing yourself, knowing, listen to your body and knowing what you need to make, to make that change, I suppose. Um, I wanted to circle back, Martin, because we've we chatted a lot, um, I suppose, about movement and nutrition, but you did mention alcohol earlier, and it's such an interesting, fascinating topic. Um, and you're obviously from Scotland. Uh, aye, aye. <laughs> which, um, I mean, I'm going to put it out there. I don't think the UK has a particularly healthy relationship with alcohol and the culture of drinking. Um, but we are both... I don't know how you, how would you describe yourself? Do you describe yourself as sober or alcohol free or I don't really ever label it to be fair, but um, yes, I'm I'm not sure I would say sober. Mm. Um, I think 
my terminology has changed as the years have gone by and I've understood a little bit more about why I was drinking and why I needed to stop. I think if you say I was an alcoholic, people freak out sort of this idea of alcoholics sleeping on the street and drinking out of bags. Um, so I'm not sure I would say I'm an ex-alcoholic, but I was very much reliant on alcohol um, for a long time. And, uh, you know, when I, when I gave up, I, my intention was to give up for a week. So not right. give up. I'm going to take a week off okay. of drinking alcohol. And I think that stemmed from having a terrible and very anxious hangover. I remember leaving the house and just feeling this terrible sense of panic. And, um, and I said, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, my ex-girlfriend at the time didn't drink very much. You know, when I think a lot about it, I would hide from her how much I was drinking, mm. you know. So I might meet up with her and she'd be like, how much have you had to drink? Well, a beer, you know, where I'd, and I would have had 10. And sort of, you know, having to cover it up. This is me being very honest and very vulnerable. I don't share this too often. But um, so, yes, I stopped for one week. And after a week, I didn't feel any better. But I said, well, a week wasn't so difficult. Let's go for another. And then I two weeks turned into a month into six months into a year into you know I'm terrible with dates I don't actually know when I gave up I think it was maybe eight or nine years ago and again it's very cliche but it is a journey and you understand more and more about sort of your reasons for drinking and the reasons that you you gave up um so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? It's a very interesting topic. And I think it's one that's changing now as well. I think I don't live in Scotland anymore, but, um, you know, when I <laughs> don't want to demonize my dad, but when I told him I was going to stop drinking, he said, oh, don't be one of those people, mm. you know, and I was like, well, what people? And then I went to my sister's wedding and he was placing bets with people how long it would take me to crack, you know, and, and even now he'll still offer me drinks. Oh, do you not want to taste your, you don't want to taste my beer? No, I don't, I don't want to taste your beer. Thank you. Um, so I can certainly understand sort of the cultural side in Scotland is a very unhealthy one when it comes to attitudes towards drinking. You know, you're demonized for not drinking, it's more socially acceptable to drink a lot than to drink nothing at all. And I can tell you living in a country where it's admired, you know, in Spain, it's not a culture of excess. Everything is in moderation of you. It's actually quite attractive. Um, maybe not with the old school, but it's, it's, it seems, you know, obviously I'm dating again. Um, and it seems to go down quite well when you say, I don't drink. You know, it's, it's kind of something that people admire as opposed to demonize. Mm. Yeah. Um, nice. Thanks for sharing that because I appreciate that. Like you say, it was a vulnerable share. So thank you for that. I do, um, yeah, I do find it fascinating in the UK with, uh, I suppose, the just the social socializing. I find um, 
you know, I actually challenge people to think of any socializing occasion where drink is not involved. Um, because people drink at sports events, folk drink at the cinema, you drink at a concert, you know, um, you can drink at the bowling alley, you know, <laughs> there's not many places where you can't access alcohol. And I think you're right to touch on that it's almost more heavily frowned upon if you don't drink than, than if you do, which is quite a bizarre, um, bizarre perception, I suppose, that we've got, we've got ourselves into. Um, but yeah, it, I do find it a fascinating topic. My journey was quite different, actually, to yours in that um, I haven't drunk alcohol for six and a half years. I do keep track of dates. Um, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't for it, you know, for having any problems or issues with alcohol. I'm, I'm quite a fussy eater and drinker. So there's a lot of alcohol that I wouldn't ever choose to consume because of the taste or the smell. Um, but I just set out in 2016, the 1st of January, 2016, not as a new year's resolution, but as a challenge for the year. I'm not, I'm not big on new year's resolutions, but I love committing to a challenge. So I've done various things. I've signed up to a marathon on the 1st of January one year, ran it in the May last year. I did a buying no new clothes challenge for a year and managed that. So I quite like the concept of challenge myself. Um, So 2016 was the year of giving up drink and it just so happened that in that year I had one of my friend's weddings where I was the bridesmaid, Hindu, trip to Vegas, lots of sports balls. And it was that everyone else had a bigger issue with it than I did. It was a classic, oh, I'll, get, I'll go on, I'll get you a drink. I'm going to the bar anyway, what do you want? Or, oh, you're not going to, you know, do the toast or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I can still participate, but I don't need to drink alcohol. Um, and it took a lot of, I suppose, my circle, friends and family, longer to I suppose buy into it than I did I was I'm quite headstrong so when I say I'm going to do something I'm going to do it and it and it wasn't I never thought when I started the challenge that it would be a, a complete lifestyle choice but I got to the end of 2016 and hadn't missed it at all so I just never went back and I would pro- probably now describe myself as a non-drinker would be uh-huh. how I would categorize myself i mean it's strange that you even have to you know you even have to give an explanation (laughs) for it right i mean you know but you do you really you know why aren't you why don't you drink you know i i I mean i i used to get a little bit angry you know what well why do you drink you know Mm -hmm. what are your what's your reasons for drinking you know and uh you know, I'm not sure I would necessarily encourage people to never drink, to take the extremes that I have. But for me, it was it was necessary. I had to stop. Mm. Um, you know, but I think that you make more meaningful connections. So I certainly had a lot of friends that were drinking buddies. That was the role that they played in my life. And you know, I was quite a lively drunk. So I was always in the middle. I, I loved it. I did really enjoy it. I had a lot of fun. But then, so when I gave up, there was a lot of resistance from friends. Why aren't you drinking? You need to drink, you know. And um, I basically just had to cut these people out of my life, which is which is absolutely fine. But you form connections, I think, on a much, much deeper level without the involvement of alcohol you know and going back to dating as well I find dating quite interesting right because I think for a lot of people the first date is drinks and you sort of 
you know, for a lot of people, they're sort of drinking, <laughs> they're having to drink to be able to spend time with somebody they might not be able to spend time with without alcohol, right? And it just, it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for me. And I think people overcommit, you know, so they'll end up spending an entire night with somebody because they're drunk and they've numbed themselves and, you, you know, it's easier to get along with somebody when you're, when you've been drinking. So yes, I think one of the benefits of, of not drinking, there are many, but you just sort of seem to form very meaningful connections with people that, that feel a bit more real. Mm. Yeah, it comes, circles right back around, I suppose, to that just holistic approach to your wellness. You know, it's looking at all areas of your life and how they all interplay with each other. So, you know, you, you mentioned that one of the triggers was about that terrible, anxious hangover feeling. Um, so it does, you know, alcohol is linked very closely with mental well-being because that of that, a lot of people experience that anxious feeling or not being able to live our authentic self by like masking who we are or masking how we feel. So, you know, it's, it's just starting to take a real bird's eye view of how well we are and what choices and decisions we're making that are impacting that. And alcohol is probably one that, you know, a lot of people maybe haven't thought about in that context before, but how does it impact my life? It's the same, it's a classic, like, you know, if you want to get back to the nutrition and the, and the, the exercise, you know, it's, it's demotivating, you know, to feel hungover, like, oh, I'm just going to kind of sloth about the flat or the house the next day, and I'm going to make poorer nutritional choices based on being hungover. So it's the, it's like the domino effect throughout our whole life. Every choice we make, it's not a single, it's not singular dimension, it's multifaceted, you know, it, it then has an impact, a knock-on effect of how hydrated our body is, how well we've slept, how we move our body the next day, what choices we make to eat, how we've acted the night before, what have our relationships been like, how's our mindset, you know, it's all so interconnected. I suppose it's just trying to bring a bit of that thinking process into some of the, the choices that we're making. It is. It's also, you know, in Scotland, it's binge drinking as well. In Scotland and the UK and many countries, it's binge drinking. So that's not, a, that's an example of something that isn't sustainable, right? So if you drank a glass of wine every night, and I'm not saying you should, because I'm not a doctor, that'd be a much more sustainable way of being able to drink every day, right? So it's just, it's that binge culture as well, which is excess. It's yeah. one extreme. So they might, you might feel that you've had a massive weekend and you want you need to counteract that that misbehaving with a ton of exercise you know it's just like battering your body both ways mm. yeah and I suppose that like just come back to the um the point about you know it all being individualized this is like by no means am I telling anyone what, what they should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to their wellness it's the key is to be able to listen to your own body and then bring the awareness about how you feel in a given situation and then take the action that reflects the best choice for you is probably how I would, how I would pitch it. Because okay. um, there's no right and wrong. We're all different. And what, what we want and what we desire in life is different. So we need to honour that. Um, Martin, there's, we've covered loads of ground in that, which I knew we would. But it, it, like, like we mentioned before, it can be overwhelming to start. So what would, if people were looking at... Um, you know, taking control of their wellness, starting to move, look at their nutrition. What what would be your kind of top tips for just getting started? 
Um, I would say start slowly mm-hmm. um, and be realistic about what is achievable. Um, certainly listening to your body. Um, trying to train where you are now as opposed to I think people have the tendency to be like, when I was 18, I was able mm-hmm. to eat this and do that and nothing, you know, and I was ripped and I would never gain weight. And I'm like, yes, but you're 59 years mm-hmm. old now. You're not 18. So let's train and eat for where you are now. So I think it's important to appreciate where you are now and not constantly compare yourself to who you were. Um education is very very important so yes you can get your information online but maybe choose a couple of reputable sources don't just get whatever you read from from google and take it as as fact because most of the time it's just an opinion um you know and if it's trying to sell you something then maybe it's not not the best information um definitely try to get a plan so once you've set a goal then you need to make a plan how am I going to get you know it's it's, it's called this you know a smart goal specific measurable attainable relevant and time bound for example you need to know how you're going to achieve your goals so I mean education is very very important programming is very important but you know I I think the main thing is to start slowly and be realistic try not to overhaul everything right away and instead of thinking that you're going from you know going to to train five times a week when you haven't trained for 10 years it's it's just not it's not a good start so yeah start slowly be realistic, listen to your body, get educated, hire a personal trainer. You know, if I could go back and hire a personal trainer, I would have gotten results so much faster. Mm. Um, Obviously not everybody can afford a personal trainer. So just make sure that your source of information is a good one. Mm. I suppose it's reaching out and asking for help, isn't it? And that doesn't, that can look different in in different forms, can't it? but yeah, asking for help where you need some guidance. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And uh, be kind to yourself. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Love it. Martin, thank you so much for your time. That was brilliant. And um, yeah, thanks for, for coming along. It's my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast so that next week you can join us again.